you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. I'm really excited about today's podcast. I'm normally excited about every podcast. We have the, some of those brilliant authors on. We put them in the Google machine. We go, uh, a brilliant author, send them to the show, and like a whole mess of them pop up and appear one to two times a day, which, you know, is pretty awesome because I learned so much and hopefully you guys do too as well. But today, my number one movie, the, the number one movie, in my book, is the movie The Godfather. That is the number one movie that of all time in of any movie that I've ever watched. And I'm a real big movie buff. It's The Godfather. And if you're a man and you have not watched The Godfather or understood what The Godfather is about, I, I do question your manhood. So you need to sit down and watch that movie. So we're excited to announce my new book is coming out. It's called Beacons of Leadership, Inspiring Lessons of Success in Business and Innovation. It's going to be coming out on October 5th, 2021. And I'm really excited for you to get a chance to read this book. It's filled with a multitude of my insightful stories, lessons, my life, and experiences in leadership and character. I give you some of the secrets from my CEO entrepreneurial toolbox that I use to scale my business success, innovate, and build a multitude of companies. I've been a CEO for, uh, what is it, like uh, 33? 35 years now. We talk about leadership, the importance of leadership, how to become a great leader, and how anyone can become a great leader as well. So you can pre-order the book right now wherever fine books are sold, but the best thing to do on getting a pre-order deal is to go to beaconsofleadership.com. That's beaconsofleadership.com. On there, you can find several packages you can take advantage of in ordering the book. And for the same price of what you can get it from someplace else like Amazon, you can get all sorts of extra goodies that we've taken and given away. Uh, Different collectors, limited edition custom made numbered book plates that are going to be autographed by me there's all sorts of other goodies that you can get when you buy the book from beaconsofleadership.com so be sure to go there check it out or order the book wherever fine books are sold today we have an amazing author on the show he's written a book called leave the gun take the cannoli the epic story of the making of the godfather just came out october 19 2021 right off the uh, presses there just it has that hot steamy print smell mark seal is going to be joining us today talking about his amazing book so that we can find out more about what went into the godfather at least tease it out you got to buy the book to find out the the whole story but you're going to get a few teasers here mark is a veteran author and journalist he joined vanity fair as a contributing editor to, in 2003 covering stories as varied as the bernie madoff scandal jazane miswell am i pronouncing that right Elaine maxwell is that how you pronounce that? Wow. I've yes. always been doing it wrong, haven't I? But like, we should care anyway. You're a journalist. That has to work, work for you. Me, I just, I think she's evil. Tiger Woods. The <laughs> I'm just going to keep doing commentary during people's bios. This is real professional. Tiger Woods and the fall of Olympian Oscar Pistorius. <laughs> the making of classic films such as Pulp Fiction and more. Welcome to the show, Mark. How are you? Thank you so much, Chris. Great to be here. I'm still going to forget uh, how to spell her name, Maxwell. So there you go. <laughs> no worries. So anyway, welcome to the show. What? So give us your plug so people can find you on the interwebs. 
Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or my website, mark-seal.com. And uh, you can find the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever fine books are sold. There you go. So what motivated you to pick The Godfather as telling the story, the making of it? I've always been fascinated by the film, as so many people have been as well. And I watched it. I was a college freshman in 1972, and I walked out of the theater, a young uh, youngster, and I felt like I walked out no longer a kid anymore. And from that point, I was fascinated, obsessed. I loved the movie so much. And in, two, in 2008, I was lucky enough to be assigned by Vanity Fair magazine to write a making of The Godfather story for the 2009 Hollywood issue. And I was able to interview much of the cast and crew, including some of the some of the members of the cast and crew that have since uh, left us, like Robert Evans, the, the head of production at Paramount during the film. And from that point on, my obsession only grew. And I had always wanted to do a book using some of the interviews that I had done. And, of course, much more research into what I describe in the book as, as a quite a long and deep well. It, it it really is interesting. I think I've seen a few making of the Godfathers where Francis Ford Coppola has talked about things. Like one big thing was the Apocalypse Now, which was making of it was a, was as an apocalypse of its own in, in right. irony. So it, it's really interesting to me. Uh, give us an overall arcing of the view of the book and and what's inside. Yeah, the book book starts out with Robert Evans, and he, he, we are in his home, and we he tells me about we, we watch parts of the movie together. And he tells me about the fights, the tremendous fights, the, the battles of the Godfather that, that were behind the scenes, almost as fiery as those that happened on screen. And from there, I go into more or less the real unveiling of the mob in America, which was in the 1960s, which is where Mario Puzo, the author of The Godfather, got his ideas and inspirations. But what Puzo did, Mario Puzo, the author, is really the hero of the story because he created this family, the Corleone family, from from thin air and from research. And he made us care about these men, not as gangsters or killers, but as family men. And that was the secret to both the book and the movie. And then from there, the book just traces the making of the movie with all the twists and turns and fights and craziness and all through the filming and the actual debut and premiere 50 years ago in next March in New York City. It's wild. You've, you've probably seen, and if anyone else sees online, uh, there's lots of YouTube videos now about the early casting videos where they tried to cast, I think it was, well, they were all, they were moving them all around because I guess they had to do that for the dailies or whatever that they'd yeah. send up to the thing. Because I guess the studio didn't want Al Pacino as, as uh, Michael Corleone, right? That's exactly right. So Francis Ford Coppola, to his incredible, his credit life, he envisioned the cast as the cast that we see on screen now. He saw Michael as Al Pacino, and nobody wanted Mike, nobody wanted Pacino because he had never been in a movie before. He was a star on Broadway of sorts. He had won a Tony for a play there, but. Nobody wanted him because he was basically an unknown in cinema. But Coppola said every time he closed his eyes and saw those scenes in Sicily, the face of of, uh, Al Pacino flashed in his mind. And so he saw the cast. He saw Sonny as James Conn as Sonny. He saw uh, Robert Duvall as Hagen, the consigliere. And most of all, the man, the actor who nobody wanted, Marlon Brando, he saw (laughs) 
The interesting thing about Marlon Brando is his relationship with with uh, Francis Ford Coppola over several movies. That the, the whole dynamic between the two of them, and of course Marlon Brando at the time, was extraordinary. What are some teaser points you want to tease out in the book that, that maybe you found that are pertinent? Uh, maybe things that maybe haven't been explored yet in some of the media. That- I think the Brando story in itself is quite extraordinary because he was seen as over at forty seven. He was known as temperamental on the set and sometimes late. And so uh, nobody wanted him. They wanted people like possibly Ernest Borgnine. Danny Thomas wanted the role. Can you imagine Danny Thomas as the godfather? Uh, who knows who else wanted the role? They, they considered Lawrence Olivier, but he was older. And, and Burt Lancaster wanted to buy the project and create and cast himself as the godfather. But thanks to Coppola's um, visionary approach to the film, we have Marlon Brando in possibly his greatest role ever. Just the, I just feel like the story behind the scenes is almost, now I'm not going to say as is compelling, but the story behind the scenes is pretty wild, almost as wild as the story on the screen. Yeah, there was so much that went into it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard this story that they, he was spinning out, I think they're called the dailies that they send up to yes. the studio. Uh-huh. And they were spinning them around to confuse the studio. And then when they finally sent up Michael's scene where he goes in the bathroom and takes the gun and, and goes out and shoots the cop and the other dude, that Italian restaurant scene, that's when he, they cemented his role. Is that true? That that scene, you can't deny the, the majesty of that scene. When he goes into the bathroom and you remember... Uh, Tessio says, the restaurant, it's perfect for us. There's an old-fashioned toilet, and you go into the back, and you, you hear the click of that gun coming off the back of the of this commode. And then he was supposed to come out blazing. That's uh-huh. what Lorenzo told him in the basement. But instead, he comes out, and you hear the, the, the roar of that over uh, night, over overhead subway going through in his head, and then, boom, he shoots them both. And that was when Michael becomes is on his way to becoming the godfather on screen. And that's when Pacino is cemented as Michael Corleone is in real. What do you think endears this movie so much to people? Is it mostly a men's movie that, that a lot of, I identify with it as a man. It it somehow, it appeals to me as some sort of testosterone level. And I I think I know why, but what do you think? Why? I think you're right. You're right, Chris. It is. But it's also a movie that a lot of, that women love too, mm-hmm. because here's the key. They're not just gangsters or killers or these men are not just criminals, but the brilliance of Mario Puzo and writing the novel and Francis Coppola and directing the film was to make these men family, their aunt, their uncles, their cousins, their brothers, their grandfathers. You see their weddings, their funerals, their baptisms. And so you fall in love with this family, not because of, of what they're doing in the, on the criminal side. You fall in love with them because they're family men. And that's the dimension that really hadn't been seen in film before. And that's what made it a phenomenon. And that's what continues to this day. You really nail it on the head there because I'm thinking of Mean Streets and a lot of other gangster movies pre did The Godfather. And yeah, it was like mostly gang- gangsters running around shooting up everything. You see the family story. You see the interactions with their wives, their kids, their fathers, their caretakers, their family. There's a romantic look to it. I think that's very different than just some straight mob movies. 
Exactly. Before the the Godfather, Paramount had done a movie called The Brotherhood, and although the it was starred Kirk Douglas, and although it didn't uh, get terrible reviews, it more or less didn't do well at the box office. So Paramount was reluctant to make the film at all. And nobody, a few directors wanted it, and they gave it to Francis Coppola, who was 31 or 32, and he was just the, the he didn't want to do it in the beginning either. And so, <laughs> and so it was this unlikely combination of reluctance and then all out, almost war between all of these parties that produce this masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Just, just crazy. And how did Francis, I think you talk in the book about how he financed this and some of the different monetary issues for the budget and everything that went into. Do you want to tease out any of that? Yeah, there was, uh, it was supposed to be a low budget film and uh, they didn't want to shoot it in New York in the beginning. The studio was reluctant to shoot it in New York because New York is the most expensive place to film a movie. They wanted to do it in St. Louis or uh, a, a Midwest city that they could make look like New York. But Francis Coppola was adamant that it be filmed in New York. Also, it was said that there was talk of making it a contemporary film in 1972, in 1971 when it was shot. Francis Coppola said, no, it's got to be done in the 1940s when Mario Puzo's novel was set. And both of those things made a huge difference. And also they were both expensive. So in the end, the budget ended up being around $6 million, which wasn't (laughs) a lot today, but back then it was. Yeah, that's just crazy. One of the things that really floored me when I heard about it later on The Godfather, and I'd watched it like a billion times. Like I just totally was into The Godfather and and Godfather 2 and not so much Godfather 3. Yeah, that's another book probably. The But w- I heard Francis Ford Coppola in an interview. He goes, to me, the story, and I'm not sure I'll get this right on the quote, so you, you feel free to correct me. But the story is about a king and three princes or three kings. Yes. And, and they're all very different. And the key to Michael is cunning. Yeah. Which was if you study power and you study empires and you study kings and all that stuff, like it, it, the whole story really makes sense, especially the dynamic between Sonny and his brothers. That's right. Yeah. When Coppola first read Puzo's novel, he, did, he said, what is this, the carpet baggers? You know, he thought it was, uh, there was a lot of steam. Mario Puzo was good at writing steamy uh, scenes. And he was just a great, prolific, creative writer. But but in the beginning, he didn't want to do it. But then he had this concept that it was going to be about a king and his three sons. Mm-hmm. And he presented that. And the, what is this? And that was just the perfect thing. That was the thing that made it great, that it is a king. And it is his three sons. There's Sonny, who's so big and overpowering. And there's Michael, who, as you say, exhibited this cunning. And then there's Fredo, who who we know. He had the perfect combination and he envisioned all this. He was a, such a visionary in this film. And that's what made him one of the great directors of our time. And this was the start of his amazing career. And yeah, I never really understood the dynamic. I just figured we well, made some character choices here. But when you understand like family hierarchy, I'm a first child. So right. I'm probably a lot like Sonny. In fact, it's when I've been shot up. Uh, but and then you understand uh, Fredo, who's the middle child. And then you understand Michael. You, right. you really start to understand the paradigms of the hierarchy of the family and how these actually play a, a very similar role in a lot of families in family hierarchy. I mean, 
correct me if I'm wrong. No, exactly. Michael, the magic of Michael, I think, and I think Al Pacino had said this in interviews before, that Michael had to start out slow and quiet. So you see the transition and you follow his transition into what he becomes in that restaurant when he shoots these two men. Mm -hmm. And uh, then after that, when he becomes the godfather, the heir to his father's empire. And that scene in the garden, never wanted this for you, Michael, Governor Corleone and all of that. And he said, get there, Pop, and all of that. You just see the passing of the torch from father to son. And you see all this in the, over the course of three hours. Yeah. It's amazing. So much happens. Was there resistance to making the film that It was, yeah, because, because the studio was uh, struggling. It had a hit in Love Story. And but that, as I write in the book, that was a, re a reprieve and not a rescue. The, the Godfather was a rescue. The Godfather made Paramount one of the most successful studios in the world. Wow. So do you talk in the book about, I know the, in the 60s, I think it was in the 60s, the mob, uh, the understanding of the mob, or at least the understanding widely across America, was the hearings in the, I think, the, yeah. do you talk about that in the book? Or, I do. Or, yeah. I do. Because this is the thing. In the 60s, when Mario Puzo started <laughs> writing the book, the cup-offer hearings were happening across in, in 19 cities across America, and people were, like, glued to their television screens to watch the real life. Robert Kennedy was involved in this, and it was these hearings in black and white on black and white television that was... It was like a, a reality show almost. You everybody was glued to their television sets watching this, and it was the kind of like who the, who these men were, who the mafia was, who the mob it was all playing out in real time on television. And I get into that in the book, and and also I say that one of the people watching this was Mario Puzo, and he was at home like everybody else watching these hearings unfold. But what he did is he went down in his basement and over a manual typewriter with the sound of his five kids up above, he created this fictional family that was as believable as fact, even more so because people came to believe that these men and their families actually existed. Yeah. I think I misquoted when I said that Mean Streets came out prior to Godfather. I think Mean Streets came out in 78, I think. It was after. So does, so that leads me to my next question. I'm trying to get an idea here of gangster movies that preceded. Did Godfather really change the tone of gangster movies then? Because I'm thinking. It did. It did. Because if you watch like The Brotherhood and movies like that, they're more melodramatic. They're, it's not, it doesn't have the heart and the soul of the Godfather. It doesn't have the family. You don't feel, I don't think you feel the same as you do when you watch the Corleone family. So it was a whole different at the time. Now the family is featured in the Sopranos, Tony Soprano's family and, and everything that happens around him. But back then it was new. And so that's what made it such a, uh, such a hit and such a phenomenon and t around the world, not just in the U.S., but it went worldwide. And uh, I think it was because the family aspect of it is what made it new and fresh. And it uh, Mean Streets came out in 73, so it might have been uh, being filmed around the time. But yeah, Mean Streets, there wasn't really a family element to it. And before that, there was the bogey movies. There were gangster I, movies. I'm a big bogey. I'm a huge bogey fan. I'm the bogey fan. Not the yeah, bogey fan, too. but I'm huge. And then I'm trying to think of who is the little guy who would always do the gangster movies. Cagney. Yeah. 
James Cagney, yeah. Right. I remember that, yeah. yeah. And he, I, I always had problems with him being a gangster. He's a great actor and played a lot of great parts. This little guy, you just, I don't know, I don't know, what, whatever. I don't, he seemed a little too squealy to be a, but what do I know about gangsters? I don't know. <laughs> I always had trouble with him being a gangster. But so this really, when this movie came out, it really, I think, blew up in the genre, wouldn't you say? It did. You know, when they had, I write about the premiere in New York at the Lowe's State Theater, and there were limo lines around the block, and it's rain had turned to snow. And Robert Evans, the head of production, walked in with his wife, Allie McGraw, on one arm and Dr. Henry Kissinger on the other. Wow. And he writes that. The lights went down, and after three hours, the lights went up, and there wasn't a sound in the theater. Wow! He myself, he thought this is a, <laughs> it's a bomb. Not nobody made a sound. There was no applause. There was no, not a sound. But it wasn't a bomb. The 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 sound. It was the sound of people being stunned. The audience was stunned into silence. And it happened like that across America, that people were speechless when it was over. Like this, And from that point on, it was like a rocket ship. Yeah. And I think, if I recall rightly, Francis Ford Coppola didn't even want to do a second one. He's like, that would be stupid to do a second one. Was that- I can't, I'm not sure. I, I believe that's true. I'm not positive. But I can tell you one funny thing about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola at the time of the, he, went, he attended the premiere, but then he went to Paris to write uh, the screenplay for The Great Gatsby, feeling that the movie was not going to be a success. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that thing's done. <laughs> yeah, he just didn't know. And then he was in his hotel room in Paris when his wife called him, and she was still in New York after the premiere, I believe. And she says, and she looked out of her window and could see lines around the block at the theater, and she goes, oh, my gosh, you won't believe it, Francis this is a phenomenon, which it was. There were lines around the block. There was a story in the LA Times that I quote in the book about waiting in line to see the Godfather because there were lines for so long that life would happen. They said you could do your Christmas shopping. Babies were being born. Different (laughs) things were happening because the line was so long. You had to wait that long to get it. There's so many, the movie is just extraordinary. There's so much, there's so much history in it. And what's weird is, is it almost becomes more real because it's entwined with history. The story of the, I forget the name of the singer at the beginning, but that's Frank Sinatra's story, right? With the Tony. Well, thinly veiled. And yeah, Johnny Fontaine is one of the more compelling stories. Uh, yeah. In the movie, and I was able to meet the character, the actor who played him, uh, the singer Al Martino, who met me in Los Angeles. He's now sadly left us, but he was great in the role, and I think that was his first major role in a film because primarily he was a singer in Las Vegas, and um, yeah, that character was great, wasn't he? Good job. Yeah. And wasn't yeah. Frank Sinatra pissed about that because he didn't want that out? That's what the story goes to. And I talk about that in the book that Mario Puzo met Frank Sinatra one night at Chasen's, which was the Hollywood uh, restaurant of its day. And they got into quite a screaming match. And uh, uh, Sinatra said, uh, somebody brought uh, Puzo, the author Mario Puzo, over to see meet Frank Sinatra, thinking Sinatra will be pleased. And Sinatra said, I don't want to meet him. Wow. And then he started uh, screaming at him. And uh, you can read about what happens. It's pretty intense. Read in the book. Read in the book. Pretty intense what happened from that point forward. 
Really? Frank Sinatra? He seemed like such a settled, uh, laid-back guy. No, oh, yeah. He was. I think he was, right? <laughs> but I don't think he, he cared for the, for the betrayal. Although it's said that later on he was interested in doing something with the movie, but I don't think mm. that, that was ever meant to be. Yeah. There's so many great one-liners or liners from the movie, uh, a billion of them. What made you choose this line? in particular for the title well, of the book. To, yeah, because to me, that was one of the great scenes in the movie, the killing of Polly Gatto, the turncoat, mm-hmm. who turned against the family and ended up enabling, in a sense, the Don's shooting. And uh, so they take him out to, to that deserted rub beneath the shadow of the Statue of Liberty. And the great thing is this, they, it's a part of it. It's a, it's a road where the Statue of Liberty has its back to the scene. Mm-hmm. And at the and then, so they sh- they shoot him, they kill him in the car. And the actor, Johnny, who played Polygato, told me about the shooting, which was really interesting on how it all happened. But after the shooting, Clemenza, who, uh, who orchestrated this whole thing, tells his cohort, take the gun, which was scripted. Take the oh. gun was scripted in the script, but not in Puzo's novel. Take the gun. But then he remembers what his wife told him at home that morning. Don't forget the cannoli. <laughs> and then he goes, so he goes, take the gun, and then he pauses. And a complete ad lib. This was never in the script in the movie anywhere. He said, take the gun. He's, no, he said, leave the gun. I'm sorry. Leave the gun. And then he says the ad lib, take the cannoli. Yeah. And to me, that kind of like sums up everything. Yeah. It sums up the, the, the gangster part of it, leave the gun. And it also sums up the family aspect, take the cannoli, don't forget that. So it's kind of like it represented the film for me in many ways. I, uh, there's so much of the improv, too, that's in the movie you probably talk about in the book, right? Yes, the improv improvisational things that happen yeah. on the fly. But that was the greatest one. It's such a line. Everybody always says it. It's one of the greatest line. movie yeah. lines of most remembered movie lines of all time. An offer he can't, I'm going to give him an offer he can't refuse is probably uh, way yeah. up there. It, it's not personal. It's business. It's another yeah. one that you quote. There's yeah. so many great lines in that movie that people quote to themselves back and forth over the years. And studying what actors do, especially like Marlon Brando, I think he started out with, he put in some dental things or had some dental things made to make his cheeks come out and give him that yeah. that look. And then, of course, I think it contributed a little bit to the this delivery of voice. Is that correct? It did. And, you know, one of the, the first things that convinced the studio that Brando was great was they insisted that he do a screen test. And so Francis Coppola didn't want to call it a screen test. He called it a a makeup test. Let's just play around and see. And so he drove up to Brando's home on Mulholland Drive, and Brando came out in a kimono with his uh, hair pulled back and a ponytail. And they said uh, they watched him, and he, he pulled his hair back, and he put some shoe polish on his upper lip, and he put some Kleenex in his in his uh, jaws. He, he said, oh, I kind of want to talk like a bulldog, he said. Wow. And he became, while they were filming this test tape, Don Corleone before their very eyes, and they said it was fantastic. Yeah. So, and then Coppola took the that film, that short tape, Straight to New York, and he showed it to the head to to the the man who owned this own Paramount, Charlie Bluedorn, and 
nobody from that point could deny that Brando was the actor for the role. I've I had a talent agency for about six years up in Utah. Well, in Utah, when when Touch My Angel was running, so we sent a lot of people to that film, and there's a couple other films. It was after a big a strike in Hollywood, so everyone was filming in Utah. And uh, so I got to sit in with a few Hollywood productions where I actually got to sit with the directors and the producers in the audition just to see what it was like. And uh, it was extraordinary because you'd see just <clears throat> boring presentation, just one after the other, people come up reading the script. And then you'd see the one that would come up, like you were talking about with with uh, Marlon Brando, where one person would come up and just explode uh, in the audition with their delivery of it. And if it was a crying scene, you'd be in tears. Then you realize that there was no music that normally is in a film to help cue that. There's no background. There's no scene. There's no real setup. You're, it's just someone sitting in front of a bunch of people in chairs in warehouse somewhere or something. And, and to be able to, be able to move you that way with the power of their acting ability and then the choices they made in choosing to deliver that because usually it's a person who makes a completely different choice when they come to the audition. You're just like, wow, no one saw that one coming. That's the thing right there. Yeah, exactly. These actors are amazing, right? They can make you suspend belief for three hours. Mm -hmm. And then they were pulling location permits during. That's right. Yeah. In the beginning, they went to New York and uh, suddenly the city seemed like it was shut down for them. Uh, They couldn't find locations, locations that had been available suddenly weren't available. The truck drivers were threatening not to work. And they discovered that there was a campaign against the movie by the what's called the League. And it was a group of men and women who were trying to stop the uh, stereotyping of Italian-Americans in popular culture. Oh, wow. Wow. That's crazy. I would have thought it was a mob being like, hey, well, it was led by Joe Colombo, who was said to be the head of one of the five families. Mm -hmm. And but what happened was, is that after a while, uh, a meeting was held between Mr. Colombo and the producer, Al Ruddy, who, who, to his credit, saved the movie on many levels. And all he wanted was that one word be taken out of the script, the word mafia. And it was only in the script at the time, one time. So they agreed to take the, the single word mention. He, obviously, wow. they didn't know it was only one mention, but it was only one mention. They took it out, and all of a sudden, the city opened its doors, wow. and, uh, and New York was on for, for the making of The Godfather. Wow, that is crazy. And this launched so many careers of so many great actors or, or took them over the top, I guess you would say. Yes, it sure did. In the beginning, these actors were not known. Diane Keaton was on a a commercial, Mm -hmm. and she was on the Johnny Carson show quite a bit, but she wasn't a a known, she wasn't a star at that point. All of these young actors that Coppola, to his credit, envisioned as the cast of The Godfather from the very beginning, and nobody else, very few other people could actually see them as starring in this role, in these roles. Mm -hmm. But the moment they uh, starred in The Godfather and this became such a huge hit, they became huge stars of our day. They're still leading the box office. Diane Keaton always does. I think Robert De Niro, wasn't he in one of the original screen tests? Yes. Robert De Niro was was originally up for the role of Polly God, who who was shot in the car uh, (laughs) uh, that we just talked about. And he was also auditioned for the role of Sonny Corleone. But... Thank goodness that he didn't get either role because he was able to appear as the Don and the young Don in Godfather 2. And he was perfect for that in Godfather oh, yeah. 2. 
So what do you think? Are you going to make a Godfather 2 book now? I don't know. It was uh, enough so far to do number one, you know, because number one, the story and stories in number one were the creation story and of all to follow. And I was just so blessed and lucky to be able to and fortunate to be able to write about this great movie. Mm -hmm. And I just loved every minute of it. So who knows? But I loved writing the one about Godfather one. Yeah, it's such a great it's such a great, you could almost write a million movies on the one movie about the making of it. It's just insane. And they really captured so much lightning in a bottle, really, when it came down to it. They did. That's right. Like I said before, you watch it now, it still feels fresh. It still feels new. It's still, you still kind of <clears throat> become entranced and it's, you're still stunned into silence at the end. It still has that magic, which so few movies have. You could count them a lot. You can count the ones that do. Yeah. I remember the one of the lines that always resonates well for me is, I'm with you now. When he goes to his yeah. dad in the hospital, he goes, I'm with you now, dad. And then yeah. you see the changeover or the crossover. I remember there was a story, too, about that I'd heard recently about Luca Brazzi. I forget the name of the guy who played it, but how he was having trouble with the lines. And somehow yeah. they just came up with that on the spot or he delivered on the spot. And it was just like total great improv or something. Yeah, the great Lenny Montana. Yeah. That was one of the great discoveries. Okay, so Lenny Montana was a wrestler, and he was like a championship wrestler. They said he looked like he could eat raw meat. <laughs> and they they had been trying to cast this character of Luca Brazzi, who was the Don Corleone's enforcer. But they didn't have the right guy. They were already filming. And one day on the set, Lenny Montana said that he was there visiting his mother, where they were filming The Godfather. And he said, what's going on? And they said, they're filming The Godfather. And suddenly he stood out head and shoulders above the crowd. And he was brought in to see Francis Ford Coppola, who said, took one look. He said, that's Luca Brazzi. <laughs> <laughs> he really is, too. Like, he really is fierce. And you see him, the scene that you mentioned was at the wedding that wedding scene was so great, wasn't it? And oh, you yeah. see hundreds of extras and in the introduction of all the characters. And there where Michael and Kay are talking, and Kay said, Michael, who is that man over there talking to himself? And he goes, uh, that's Luca Brasi. He sometimes helps. Who's he? And she goes, oh, he sometimes helps my father out sometimes. Um, and anyway, so he's rehearsing his lines and, he could later on they they filmed that and apparently they he couldn't get his lines so they decided to use that which was so perfect yeah he's a he's an enforcer he's 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 not he's not articulate with words this is a guy you yeah, said to go yeah. out it just worked it just worked <laughs> you know he was so perfect in that role yeah i am francis for coppola what a what an amazing director and stuff he's i've loved the, almost all of his movies Oh, yeah. He, from that, he went on to such. This was so fantastic. And he did a, Apocalypse Now, which was almost a crazy set. But he said The Godfather was even more intense because that was his real first big studio picture. And all of the things that happened on the set, which you can read about in the book that are just, that were just insane. There you guys go. We could talk about this forever, but we want people to go buy the book. So give us your plugs, Mark, uh, so people can go find you on the interwebs in order of the book. Yeah, no, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or my website, www.mark-seal.com. 
And uh, anyway, I hope you enjoy the book. And uh, it was a real pleasure to write. And it's always a pleasure to talk about it, Chris. There you go. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. And uh, go order the book, guys. This is the number one greatest movie of all time in my thing. I think number two might be number two, Godfather 2. There's so many great scenes in it. I really need to sit down and watch it like 10 times to really get the nuances and the scenes. And you start really connecting stuff and going, oh, wait, that goes over there. It's just such a complex thing and it's just a smorgasbord of brilliance and story and actors and just incredible and when you really think about how hard it is to hit lightning in a bottle on a movie uh, if you study movie making and acting that they really smack one out of the park i think the test of time is really so check it out october 19th it, it uh, just came out leave the gun take the cannoli the epic story of the making of the godfather by mark seal thanks my audience for tuning in go to youtube.com for chess chris sauce to see the video version of this go to uh goodreads.com for chess chris Foss. you can see everything we're reading or reviewing over there also go to Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all those different places on the internet. You can see all the groups that we have and everything we do. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other, and we'll see you guys next time. And go watch The Godfather if you haven't. Jesus, wow. <laughs> so we're excited to announce my new book is coming out. It's called Beacons of Leadership, Inspiring Lessons of Success in Business and Innovation. It's going to be coming out on October 5th, 2021. And I'm really excited for you to get a chance to read this book. It's filled with a multitude of my insightful stories, lessons, my life, and experiences in leadership and character. I give you some of the secrets from my CEO entrepreneurial toolbox that I use to scale my business success, innovate, and build a multitude of companies. I've been a CEO for, uh, what is it, like uh, 33 years? 35 years now. We talk about leadership, the importance of leadership, how to become a great leader, and how anyone can become a great leader as well. So you can pre-order the book right now wherever fine books are sold, but the best thing to do on getting a pre-order deal is to go to beaconsofleadership.com. That's beaconsofleadership.com. On there, you can find several packages you can take advantage of in ordering the book. And for the same price of what you can get it from someplace else like Amazon, you can get all sorts of extra goodies that we've taken and given away. Uh, different collectors, limited edition custom-made numbered book plates that are going to be autographed by me. There's all sorts of other goodies that you can get when you buy the book from beaconsofleadership.com. So be sure to go there, check it out, or order the book wherever fine books are sold.